Let's talk about the multifamily fix and flip. So we can buy in a hundred unit building. Okay, we're gonna buy that thing and we've got to, let's say we're gonna renovate all hundred units or close to it. We're gonna renovate those and let's say we're sticking, maybe it's even a 90% occupied plus building. We're gonna stick, you know, 10 to five, five to $15,000 per unit into it. We're gonna renovate it. We're gonna raise rents. And when we're done with all that, when we're done completing our value add, we might cash flow during that time frame. Likely we are going to. Uh, but when we're done with all that, in three to five years, we're going to sell. And we're going to take that profit and we're going to try to turn that over to the next property and, and do the exact same thing. So that's the fix and flip that I'm talking about. And I'm talking about multifamily. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, our sponsor for the show today is Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota. And they were recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through their investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. Look, there's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. Hey, welcome to another edition of Hump Day Hustle. I am your host, Todd Dexhammer, and with me today is, well, it's me. So I'm going to do a solo podcast today, and I'm going to be talking to you about a topic that is kind of important to me and something I've been thinking about quite a bit lately is uh, long-term asset versus short-term. And when I talk about short-term, I talk about the, I'm talking about the traditional, um, you know, buy hold for maybe three to five years, maybe seven versus long-term is we really maybe don't even have a plan to ever sell. Maybe we're just going to refinance, keep the thing, uh, maybe hold it for 10, 15, 20 years, but um, more long, long, long term. So I want to talk about the difference of that and uh, maybe some advantages and disadvantages of both strategies. Uh, before I get started, just want to kind of give a quick update on what we've got going on in our business and, uh, and, and maybe some things that I've been doing, hopefully, that are leading me towards uh, getting to where. I want to go that maybe you can uh, take as well. So first, uh, for uh, many of you know, I've been doing a lot of speaking. I've been going around. Uh, I spoke at uh, several local meetups, many local meetups, uh, probably a half a dozen or so from July, June, maybe July through, um, through the beginning of October. I also hosted my own conference, the North Star Real Estate Conference, which, by the way, we're going to be hosting again April 24th and 25th, 2020. So it's coming up pretty soon. Uh, and then I, I spoke at a um, real estate success summit. That was the following weekend after my conference. I spoke a couple times at my conference, was up on 
the stage a decent amount of time. Not the whole time. I definitely had a ton of other great, amazing speakers. Uh, but then I had the opportunity the following weekend to speak at a conference. Um, I then went to uh, Denver to speak at, a, at another conference, a Raising Money Summit conference in Denver. And then I was in Chicago and spoke at another conference in Chicago, the IMN um, Multifamily Forum. I think it was called something like that, Middle Market Multifamily Forum. And either way, I've been traveling a lot, and I, and not even so much traveling, just been in front of crowds. And, and one thing I've really done is, is really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed uh, giving people the knowledge that I've learned over the past 11 plus years in this business, the mistakes I've made, because I've made plenty, the successes I've had, and beyond what my personal results are, personal failures have been, personal experiences have been, the things that I've also learned by speaking with a lot of amazing people on this podcast and then just at different uh, events and meetups and just by getting to know other people and seeing what they're finding for success. So it's been a lot of fun doing that. Um, something I've really enjoyed and learned from it is the connections, the connections that you get from being up on stage, the connections that you get from being present at these meetings. I've been very intentional on creating relationships and building those. So the biggest thing I would take that maybe you can bring to your businesses, first of all, attend conferences and meetings and meetups and stuff like that. And I don't think you need to go crazy and attend as many as maybe I attended just this last couple months, um, but make sure that you're attending these. But then beyond just attendance, make sure you're very purposeful and make sure what you do has meaning behind it. So understand your outcomes before you go into the event. And I think you're going to have a lot more success. So my main outcomes, my main intent going to these meetups was, uh, or conferences was a couple things was, first of all, I wanted to build relationships. I want to build relationships with people that I feel like I can continue to do business with and continue to get to know, learn from. And of course, hopefully they can learn from me as well. I wanted to build relationships that are not just a, hi, how are you doing? Oh, I recognize you relationship, but a relationship where it's something where we can continue to actually maybe even be friends, maybe be business partners, maybe do business with each other in some sort of fashion down the road and continue to build that and grow it. So that was an intent I came with. There's several things, uh, obviously, for me uh, as a selfish thing. Of course, I'm trying to find investors for my deals. Of course, I'm trying to um, find some people that want to learn from me, um, that want to take my coaching. Uh, I've you know, been able to take $20,000 and turn it into eight figures, and I want to help people be able to do that. And so people that want that can come to me for that. And then of course I want deals so people can bring deals or potentially partner with me. But beyond that, I want to try to bring value to other people. So it's really important that you're out there bringing true value to other people and not trying to expect anything in return. And that's hard, right? Because we're all fairly selfish people. Um, but the more you can do that, bring value to others, I think the better it is. So that's something that I've really kind of enjoyed and, and taken to uh, a challenge is make sure 
I'm really being intentional about what I'm doing. Uh, the next thing if, for me that I've been really focused on is, is, you know, I want to continue to grow my business, but I want to do it the right way. So setting up the right partnerships and getting the right deals in place has been really important. And I'd rather do no business than sloppy business. And so that's something that I've really been focusing on is making sure any deal that I bring to my investors is going to be a deal worth doing. It's going to be a deal that we're all going to make money on profit on. And at the end of the day, be happy with. So I've been very focused on that. Do I want to get a thousand units this year? Absolutely. I was hoping to get a thousand units, but you know what, quite frankly, it's probably not realistic, probably not going to happen unless I want to get a thousand of the wrong units, which I don't want to do. So that's, that's been a big focus. It's just, again, just being intentional, knowing my outcomes and understanding where I am with the business and understanding where I want to go and how I want it to look. Hey, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Pine Financial Group. Look, you work hard for your money. Is your money working hard for you? Because of inflation, money sitting idle erodes your wealth. Many investors understand that real estate is a great investment, but may not want the effort or the risk that comes with owning their own property. They want to sit back and have payments Hit their bank account each and every month. Stop eroding your wealth and start building it by asking your money to work for you. You should be earning profits while you sleep in investment backed by real estate. Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota, was recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through the investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. There's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. It's www.pineinvestments.com. So, Enough about that. Let's get to today's topic, which I want to talk about. Do we legacy build or do we buy with the intention of continuing to turn these properties over? And I don't think, first of all, I'm going to start it off with there's no right and wrong answer, right? There's, there's two opinions and both of them can be a sound strategy. Let's start with the fix and flip. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not talking about a single family fix and flip. Let's talk about the multifamily fix and flip. So we could buy in a hundred unit building. Okay, we're gonna buy that thing and we've got to, let's say we're gonna renovate all hundred units or close to it. We're gonna renovate those and let's say we're sticking, maybe it's even a 90% occupied plus building. We're gonna stick, you know, 10 to five, five to $15,000 per unit into it. We're gonna renovate it. We're gonna raise rents. And when we're done with all that, when we're done completing our value add, we might cash flow during that time frame. Likely we are going to. Uh, but when we're done with all that, in three to five years, we're going to sell. And we're going to take that profit and we're going to try to turn that over to the next property and do the exact same thing. So that's the fix and flip that I'm talking about. And I'm talking about multifamily. Or it could be commercial or any other type of real estate, but I'm not talking about like a single family fix and flip like you see on HGTV. That's really not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the value add deal. The, the next thing is a legacy hold, and I'm talking about a deal we buy, and we're going to 
we could do the same strategy. We could buy it. We could fix it up. We could add our value to it. But we've got no intention of, se- of selling it three to five years later. Our intention is to potentially refinance it and hold it for a very, really long term. So let's talk about the, first of all, the advantages of the three to five year, maybe up to seven year hold. That quick value add, let's get rid of the property and let's turn it. First of all, number one, we're doing transactional volume, right? So anytime we're doing volume, we get more opportunities. We get more opportunities from our brokers, from other people around us that know we're doing volume, that know we're getting deals done and that know we're players in the market. So that's, a, I think, an advantage. We're doing deals. Uh, number two, uh, we are creating a track record, right? We are buying the property, we're renovating it, we're fixing it up and we're selling it three to five years later. And if we're selling it, we're hopefully selling it for a profit. And if we're selling it for a profit, that's showing our investors, that's showing our uh, team, that's showing anybody around us that we want to allow to see the brokers and so on, that we're a profitable business and we know what we're doing and we're creating a positive track record. So that would be uh, number two, big time, um, that definitely an advantage. Uh, number three, it allows us to snowball, right? It allows us to build capital and to snowball and create more and more and more. So if I buy this building and I fix it and we do our deal and we make a million dollars on it, now I have a million dollars to work with. If I do that for the next one and I have $3 million to work with, now I got $3 million in it. And all of a sudden, six million and eight million and ten million and fifteen million and so on. I just did some random jumping, but you get the picture that we can all of a sudden just start snowballing that, and now and, and we're rolling that money and we're continuing to grow. So that's definitely an advantage. Okay, um, we're we're continuing to build our teams. We're continuing to you know build our systems and processes, of course, with that. Now let's talk about some disadvantages. It's short term, right? Now we still don't pay short term capital gains, but we still do. We're going to end up paying capital gains. Likely, especially if we have investors, it's really tough to 1031 exchange those properties. And so we're likely gonna have to pay capital gains, which you know, if you live in my state, you're paying state income tax and you're paying the government long-term capital gains, it ends up working out to be probably close to 30%, 27 to 30%. Now, if you're in a a state that doesn't get taxed, you you might get by with it, but, um, and only pay that, you know, 20%-ish. So, but either way, it's, it's taxes. We're paying taxes on the profits. Unless we can 1031 exchange, which again, is very challenging, not only in the traditional sense of, 1031 exchanges being challenging. We've got 1031. We got a we got clock that we got to deal with. We got to make sure we can get these uh, properties chosen in 45 days, and then we got to close in our time frame. And oftentimes we're overpaying because everybody knows we're doing 1031 exchange, and so we're paying more for the property. So there's disadvantage to that if we even can achieve a 1031 exchange. If we can't, then of course it's taxes. The other disadvantage is, well. It kind of was the advantage is we've got to do volume, right? We've got to continue to find properties. So it's great because 
we're building these relationships with brokers, but it's challenging because not all markets are equal. So I might buy a property, look back, you know, buy a property in 2013. That was a fantastic time to buy a property. Everybody would have wanted to buy a property in 2013 looking back, but now you look at 2019 and it's a lot more challenging now to buy a good quality property that you're going to be able to do a value add and make money on. So if I were to be able to keep that property, well, now I've got some other things we can do with it, which we'll talk about in a second. But now, since we're doing the strategy, we sold the property that we bought in 2013. We got to find a replacement property. Otherwise, we're shrinking, not growing. So that's definitely a challenge. Um, one more advantage, by the way, is our investors. Our investors like to see their money come back to them. And so that's an advantage for our investors is that we're, we're taking, giving them their money back and we're proving concept again, proving concept. I already mentioned that. Um, let's see what other disadvantages. Well, I've got everything in place, right? I've got my management in place. I've got a smooth sailing ship and all of a sudden, you know, we stop that ship. We've dropped the anchors and we, you know, abandon ship. Well, we just abandoned a nice smooth sailing ship that doesn't have any leaks and any problems. Why did we do that? That in my opinion is advantage. We stop the momentum and we have to start over with something that needs those repairs that we have to, you know, patch the leaky holes. Uh, we have to get the sails up and running. And so we took this nice smooth, well-oiled machine and we traded it in for a junker. That's in in a way a disadvantage. Now let's talk about the uh, the legacy. And 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 I could say a disadvantage, by the way, is is that we're not building a legacy, or potentially not building a legacy. Now, if we do it right, we probably can, but we're potentially not building a legacy because we're always turning our properties right. So let's talk about advantage. Advantage would be, well, it's not going to cost us. We don't have the transaction volume, right? We don't have each time we close on a property, that's money. Again, that's a disadvantage on the flipping side. We've got to, it costs us a lot of money to close on transactions, both on the buy and on the sell. And, you know, with attorneys and mortgage fees and all that kind of stuff. So we don't have that. The nice thing with the legacy properties, I buy this property. I fix it up, I get it to where I want it to be, and I'm probably gonna spend a little bit more time, a little bit more dedication to that process because I want it to be something that's gonna last me for a long time. So I'm gonna spend the time needed to get the right repairs done and do them the right way. It might cost me a little bit more money. Okay, so maybe a little disadvantage there is it cost me a little bit more money because I'm thinking quality, I'm thinking long-term. But I got this property as a well-oiled, smooth-running machine, and now I'm able to run it for years and years and years. And once it gets to that point where it's making enough money, I can then refinance it, pull out my money tax-free. I don't have to pay a dime on taxes. I'll refinance that money, and then I can take that capital and I can buy the next property. Okay, so that's a big advantage. And I can continue to hold that property. I can continue to, I can hand it down. I don't have to ever pay my taxes on it. I can depreciate it, do all that kind of stuff. Those are, that's a big advantage. 
and it's a legacy builder, right? I can pass it down to whoever I want. Um, it's creating major value and we're paying down principal, right? Our tenants are paying our mortgage every single month. We're paying principal down. So now we've got a property that we have a loan on for $10 million. And in, in you know, 30 years, we'll have a loan for zero. We created $10 million worth of equity in 30 years. That's, of course, if we don't refinance. <clears throat> so that's, that's fantastic. Those are all great advantages. Uh, I really like that. Now, let's talk about some disadvantages with legacy properties, right? We talk about the cash flow. The cash flow is amazing. We're going to continue to get that. We're going to continue to get depreciation for years. We can refinance and re-leverage. Um, you know, we've got a well-oiled machine. We've got the management in place. We don't have many costs because the only cost we're going to have ever is that refinance cost as far as transactions go. Um, those are all great advantages. So let's talk about some disadvantages. First of all, we do a value add and the day after you do a value add, it's just like buying a new car, your property begins to lose value. And it's true. Don't believe me, buy a brand new property and wait for five years and see if it's worth as much as the next brand new property that just got built. Okay. Is it maybe worth more than what you bought it for? Sure. So it doesn't depreciate just like a car, but it's not worth as much as the other brand new property that is now built in 2025 when your property is now going to be six years old. Okay. So it depreciates in, in value to an extent, right? Things become outdated. If I remodel in 2019, in 2029, the tastes are probably not going to be the same. They're certainly not going to be the same in 2039. Um, I mean, think back to 1990s. Think back to 1980s and 70s and you're going, man, I mean, styles are totally different. So it's a constant. We're going to have to remodel. We're never going to be okay with just the same old, same old. I can remodel in 2019, but in 2029 or 2039 or 2049, you know, I'm going to have to be remodeling again throughout those decades. Okay. So that's definitely a disadvantage. We have to continue. Things get old. Things break down. So our maintenance costs do go up. It's just a fact. Our replacements are going to have to happen eventually. We're going to have to replace a roof. We're going to have to replace our boilers or our furnaces. So those are types of things that we got to really consider as we're holding long-term is we have to make sure we're taking care of some of these big ticket items. Now we can do some of those through refinance, but we don't want to always count on refinance because what happens if, you know, we get another 1980s interest rate uh, hike where all of a sudden you're doing a refinance, but you're paying 15, 20% interest on your building. Well, then you don't really want to refinance, especially if you were locked in at three to 5%, right? So big disadvantage there, I would say. The next disadvantage is, of course, we're not doing the transaction volume, which is good, but it's bad because we're not building those broker relationships like we wanted to. We're not expanding our team like maybe we want to. Um, we're not getting the opportunities that potentially we want to, okay? So those are maybe some disadvantages. Uh, another, you know, disadvantage would just be that, 
you know, we, we've got property that maybe gets stale. Okay. Maybe, maybe it's a, in a neighborhood that's declining. Um, you know, think about most neighborhoods in your cities where the 2019 buildings are being built is really nice, but let's look at a building built in 1979 and it's probably not nearly as nice of an area as the building built in 2019. So eventually those areas typically do decline um, and go down in value as well. So we got to be cognizant and aware of that too. So, um, and then let's see what else. I mean, there's definitely other, other disadvantages, definitely other advantages, but honestly, overall, I think it really depends on, on your goals. So let's talk about disadvantage of the, the investors, right? So we either have the investors in there forever with us. Well, that's kind of a disadvantage because do you really want them to be able to make decisions at all times? Um, or we have to figure out how we got to pay them out uh, and make it worth their while. So that can you know be a little tricky. We want to make sure it's set up. We obviously need to take care of our investors first and foremost. And so I think there's a challenge there of legacy holding properties to be able to actually get our investors in and out of the investment properly, make sure they're getting their return projections and uh, make sure they're being taken care of. So I would say that's a, a disadvantage with the legacy properties. And I think that's why a lot of people don't do the legacy properties, quite frankly, is because of that. Um, for me, what do I want? Well, right now, my main focus has been on these, what I would call it more of a flip, right? Holding for five to seven years, and then I'm going to sell them. But what I'm working towards is getting that second basket. And I actually do have that, right? I've got my one to four family rental portfolio. And I will probably keep some of those properties for potentially for a long, long time. I mean, I've got some of the properties I've already had for over 10 years. Okay. Um, and so some of those might be for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I don't know. It's hard to say. I have sold some of them. But for the most part, my plan is not to sell those properties. And I would like to do a little bit of the same with some multifamily. So I would like both baskets. I want those five to seven year fix and flips. And I want the you know legacy holds that I have no exit strategy necessarily. I might have an exit strategy for my investors, but I necessarily don't have an exit strategy for myself and that property other than maybe some refinances to get the money taken back out of the property carefully. Of course, we don't want to do it. So we're going to get foreclosed on if the market cycles, because that's no longer a legacy. Uh, that's a different type of legacy. So that's in my opinion, what I want to do. That's, that's my goal. And whether that's your goal or not, it doesn't really matter. You decide what's right for you. And I would love to hear it. Uh, I would love to hear your comments uh, we've got, this goes out on YouTube. This goes out on uh, our Facebook page. Um, so however you can comment on it, I'd love to hear from you. Is, you know, what's your strategy? What's your goal? What's your goal right now in strategy? And what's your goal into the future? And where do you see yourself as a business going? I'd love to see that. I'd love to hear from you and uh, maybe hear your ideas too. What's, what are some advantages and disadvantages that you see maybe that I didn't point out with legacy properties? our flip, fix and flips. So thanks a lot. Appreciate you listening. Uh, again, I'm Todd Dexheimer. I'm signing out. Make every day a Saturday.
Hey, thanks for listening to the show. A couple things before we go. Again, go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and review, and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business, and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day, and as I say, make every day a Saturday.